Welcome to the Arena Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. You'll be aware that in the New Testament, we've got, obviously got the New Testament in, in English, but the New Testament was originally written in street Greek, earthy Greek, and, and the word love, as amongst other words, is, is, is nuanced. I remember a, a retired man coming to me once some years ago. Well, he got wonderfully saved just into retirement. And of course the question was, oh, I wish I'd have found this 40 years ago. But boy, didn't this man serve in retirement well. He became, talk about uh, loving God, finding freedom, discovering your purpose and making a difference. And sadly, from an earthly point of view, he's, he's no longer on this, uh, this uh, earth. But he went to glory and just used those 10, 15 years of retirement brilliantly for God. Got wonderfully saved. He said to me once, Phil, I've got a problem. I've got a problem. He says, you know, I love my family. I says, yeah. He says, he says in the Bible, I've got to hate my family. Oh, boy. This was about 25 past 10 on a Sunday morning. You know, they, yeah. So I'll, I'll see you afterwards. It's a nuanced word because if you trace it down, it's not talking about hatred in the way that we think. It's talking about priority. It's asking who comes first. And with love, we've got four words in the original language of the New Testament that would reflect the word love. There's eros, which speaks about the, 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 the intimate physical love that expressed between a man and woman in the defined relationship of marriage. Interestingly, if you operate out of that, you don't love people, you hurt them. And that's why we've got a thousand songs and a million poems about love, and yet some people still find it elusive. And then there's filio love, which speaks of friendship love. And so, please hear this. For the tape, please hear this. Please understand. I can say to Josh, Josh, I love you, mate. I can say it with a purity of heart, because he's a friend. It's a filial love. I love you, Andy. It's a filial love. I love Eleanor. It's a filial love. The city of friendship in the States, Philadelphia. And so, friendship love that goes deep often, particularly in the context of Christian community. The storge love, a love that's reserved for family, your particular family circle. And every family, again, is nuanced. They, as we approach that time of the year, there'll be different traditions. Some people's family traditions are weird. I'm going to tell you a weird one, okay. I've got to preface this. This is not our family, but, but there's... There's members, there's a, members of our family live on the opposite side of the world. And the lads, for years, I'll say it over the jeans, but on a, sun, on a Sunday, the mum used to buy them every Christmas a new pair of wife fronts, and they used to wear them over the trousers for the rest of the Christmas day. That is weird. <laughs> I think there was a few of these signals as well, you know, but honestly... So, I hope you got it. It's not our family. Okay, let me just understand. But some of you like to have your dinner at 12. Some of you like to have your dinner at 7 on that day. Some of you like to go out for dinner. Some of you wouldn't dream of doing it. But it's all families. And within those particular contexts, the storge love, there's a very deep love that flows out. And then, of course, there's a word that Numbers of us that are Christians would be very aware of. It's agape love. It's the love that we've worshipped God with this morning. The overwhelming love of God coming to us. 
See, agape love, it's not defined by emotion. It's, it's rooted in our will. It's a, it's a decision-making love. If I can say it this way, the Bible, uh, the place where Jesus died is often described as Calvary, the place where he died. And it's Calvary love. It's cross love. It's sacrificial love. It's not thinking about yourself first love. Agape love. Augustine, one of the great church leaders of the early century says, this sort of love has hands to help others. It has feet to hurry to the poor and needy. It has eyes to see the misery and want. It has ears to hear the sighs and sorrows of mankind. This is what love looks like. And 2,000 years later, I can take you around the corner this week into the Hub community and agape love is being poured out onto people in all sorts of needs and situations. So the fruit of love. And Chad, if we could just put those four things up. There's four things here. I'm just going to touch on them for a moment. But when you allow the fruit of love to start to be developed in your life, when you let the love of God, the agape love of God, kiss your life and you respond to him, it completely changes the motivation of being a Christian. So number one, the fruit of love will cause us to do the Lord's will. 1 John 5, 3 says, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. It doesn't finish there. And it says his commandments are not burdensome. Now, I get people saying to me, I'd like to become a Christian, but you Christians want me to give up this, give up that, stop doing this, stop doing that, stop doing the other. And I like all these things. Seems pleasurable for a season. Sin starts on a jolly and then takes us to places that we wish you'd never been to. So you are trying to get into being a Christian and you will never do it without surrendering to him, letting him love you and you love him. Because when we start to read the Bible and we start to read of the things God wants us to do and the things he doesn't want us to do, It's not a case of, do I have to do these things? It is, I get to do these things. The motivation is completely different. And when we put into action the commands of God or the truths of God, it doesn't lay a burden on us. It sets us free. So the fruit of love will cause us to scramble to find out what God's will is for our lives and to gladly put it into action. Now, is that easy sometimes? Of course not, because love sometimes is coming against some issues in our life, maybe coming against unforgiveness. And you think that by hanging on to your unforgiveness, it's going to continue to make you feel good. That's why you won't let it go. Because somebody hurt you, not a chance. But then God comes and says, you hanging on to that unforgiveness is like you drinking poison and expecting somebody else to die. The only person it's killing is you. And God comes. God comes in that moment. I don't know whether you saw Christians Against Poverty the other Friday night on BBC Two. But one of their young workers that had been treated terribly, inappropriately in his formative years, as the guy coming to him in the shop... 
After he prayed that God would help him to find forgiveness. Whoa, be careful what you pray for. The guy's coming towards him in the shop. Does he run or does he deal with this forever? He decided to do the Lord's will. He didn't feel like doing it, but agape love released forgiveness that day. He took the man's hand as he also took his cash. Always a good idea. And uh, he took his and says, I forgive you. He says, the guy was as frightened as I was. Amazed at what I'd said to him. He says, but I was completely set free. Completely set free. I speak to somebody in the church this morning. And you can't get rid of this unforgiveness thing. But I'm telling you, the love of God's coming to you. It's going to wash all over you. It's going to minister to you. He's going to give you the grace to let it go and to let it go forever. We do the Lord's will. Number two, we do the Lord's work. Because 1 Thessalonians 1.3 talks about a labor of love. Now, please hear me right this morning because nothing wrong. But you may have wandered in at 20 past 10. The heating's on. The lights are on. The band's ready. There's coffee downstairs. But church started for some people about 7 o'clock this morning. What motivates that? Woof. Kev, you caught us all by surprise. But he got up with a smile on his face. He says, come on, let's worship the living God this morning. Now, great playing, great musicianship helps. Great singing, great vibrant modern songs all helps. But it was a labor of love. And these guys pick over, they dissect, they analyze, they always want to make it better. And here's the truth. That's what motivates our labor. Lisa and the community teams Many of them here this morning, incredible labor, motivated by love. Now, do they want to kill some of these people at times? Not literally, well, maybe, but but anyway, but it's love, it's love. And laboring's hard work. I've told you the story, forgive me for repeating it, but when I went to Bible college all those years ago, by the end of the first year, I'd run out of money. I was getting married in a year, and... uh, and uh, what did I do for the three months whilst I was on Ollie? Well, I could have watched Wimbledon. I could have watched the golf. I could have gone for leisurely strolls. But Sharon worked for Henry Boot Construction. And she got me a job as a laborer. Ooh. <laughs> Two buses to pick the white van up at junction 36 of the M1. Uh, four or five Irish guys in the, in the... They were looking for IOUs on Monday morning because they drank it all away over the weekend. And Graham said, Graham, the site manager says, I don't mind your lad having a job. He says, but I don't want him preaching to the lads. <laughs> I don't know what he's, people have got, you know. But I tell you, the testimony at the end of those three months is he went to Sharon and says, yeah, well, the job's finished. Your lad's a good worker. That'll do for me. Because that was a testimony. You see, I was driving dumper trucks. I was, I was, I was carrying odds of bricks. I had coat hanging shoulders. I'd have taken anybody on. <laughs> And at the end of the first week, I had 18 blisters on my hands because I'd been pushing a pen for a year. You know, it was hard work. When the concrete came at five o'clock, the site foreman says, tell you what, guys, we're going home. 
we stopped until, because it had gone off the following morning, off seven, eight, off past eight at night, and then we're back at six the following morning. It was hard work. Laboring. And if your labor for God's not motivated by love, you're going to, Christian, say, I'm packing this ministry in, Christian. I've had enough. I'm done with it. Boom, boom, boom. So-and-so said this. Do, 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 do. That's people. People sometimes are unappreciative. Jesus healed ten lepers. Only one said thank you. The others went off and had a party. If they're not going to say thank you to him, then they're going to think you're going to say thank you to you. So what motivates it? It's the fruit of love. The fruit of love. I've turned up on a Sunday as a preacher. I've prayed up. I've spoken in tongues. I've seen the altar filled with people responding to God. You know what's happened? Nobody's responded. I thought I'd preach up a storm, but nobody else did. Just keep going. Number three, the Lord's witness, John 13, 34 to 35. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. And by this shall all men know that you are my disciples when you love one another. doesn't mean we're all the same. It's not about uniformity. It's not about being cultish or weird. We love difference. We love diversity. But the thing that binds us together is agape love. Number four, we grow in the Lord's ways. Paul praying for the Philippian church, praying that they would abound more and more in God's ways. You may say, I'm a mature believer. I've been a Christian 30, 40 years. I'm telling you this morning, there's more for you. I'm telling you, there's another growth season for you. I'm telling you that God's got something else for you to engage with, abounding in the Lord's ways. So I encourage you this morning to let the soul of your heart be fertile and live with the gift of love. It's not a set of rules. It's not you curling yourself up in a ball trying harder. All that will fail. It's you being kissed by heaven and experience something you will never experience outside of the love of God. And then briefly, joy. Joy. This word is so misunderstood. You see, Christian joy on occasions contradicts natural circumstances. Joy is not this. Hi! How you doing? I'm great. I'm absolutely great. Because people that aren't getting faith will say at a thousand paces, that guy's a fake. There's no way it can be like that. And then we've presented this gospel in inverted commas that says when you become a believer, all your problems will go away. Anybody ever found that to be true? For some of you, your problems just started. Because you went home to your family, Christian, you become a Christian, you become a Christian. And the fruit of joy, friends, takes us through this. Some of the most amazingly joyful atmospheres and contexts I've ever been in. I've not traveled as much as this man. But I've been to around 20 nations across the earth. Some of the most amazingly joyful contexts I've ever been in is when people have got very little, got lots of trials, persecuted. But I tell you, they got the fruit 
of the joy of the Spirit of God. And it's amazing. So we understand that, do you remember John Partington at Mansfield all those years ago when he says, he'd been in Tottenham the previous week, North London. He'd been in a church where there were, you know, the, because it was their way of expressing joy. And then he tried to get us to do the same. And he got, can you remember Aidy? He got Aidy out. Aidy's one of the most conservative African men you'd ever meet in your life. You know, when everybody else is open-necked, 80s booted and suited. And, and it was the stereotype. You know, it's, we are naturally a conservative people. You know, we can't do the hips like, you know, other nations of the earth. But the reality is we can know an amazing joy that is beyond words. Let me just say something about the hindrances of joy. The hindrances of joy. I'm going to run through this quickly. The hindrances of joy. There we go. So these are things that push back on joy. Number one, because we're human. Job 5.7 says, man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upwards. So this sort of gospel that says, once you become a Christian, you'll go into the misty sunset, never to have a problem ever again. Bye. Uh, (laughs) Means that immediately you get a problem, you're going back to the preacher saying, what was the gospel you preached to me? We're human, we're human, we're human. And so we have disappointments, we have failures, we have setbacks, we have hurts, we have brokenness. And, you know, I brought a bit of humour in this morning, friends, but I don't, I don't tritely seek to answer some of that. Number two, because we're Christians. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. Take heart, I have overcome the world. And uh, I've still got a friend of mine. He's been a dear colleague. I won't mention his name. Been a dear colleague for many years now. He's been in ministry 30 years. And when he goes home to his mum and dad, they still say to him every time, when are you going to get a proper job? Because he's a Christian. Number three, because we're waywards. I love King David, a man that served God's purpose a man after God's own heart. But Psalm 51, I sometimes wish it wasn't in the Bible. But in the aftermath of his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, he says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Can I say to somebody this morning that's been a Christian, if for some reason you've lost your joy, it's not God's will for you to live without your joy. And this morning, all you've got to do is ask that God will restore it by the power of his spirit. It'll come to you. It'll come to you. It'll start a well up right now in your life, in Jesus' name, because of others, of what others have said, of what others have done, of what others have been. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 11 and 12, it says, Rejoice when you are persecuted and suffer many trials sometimes people are horrible sometimes they're nasty one of the issues that we've got to guard this young generation is is how long they are on the internet and how long they are on social media because there's some horrible people out there saying some vile things and i pray a prayer of protection across every one of our young people lord that you will help them to navigate this and to see that their identity is in you you are what we say You are what we say you are. And uh, so others, they can rob us of joy. And then circumstances. In Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, when Joseph had been restored to his brothers, he said to them, you intended to harm me, 
But God intended it for good to accomplish his purpose in this time. And I wonder if you've been through a circumstance when people have tried to harm you. They've said something about you. They've put something out there about you. And we read the Bible backwards and say, wasn't it great when Joseph came through? But I read again this morning, early this morning, when he's in the prison. And bear in mind, friends, he was in prison for something he'd not done wrong. And in, in, this, in this Me Too society in which we live, we, we, are, we are increasingly aware uh, that we don't want to treat women inappropriately. I, was, I don't know if you saw who won the Nobel Peace Prize for, for uh, Nobel uh, Peace Prize this week, but that wonderful uh, Congo doctor and, and the, the lady that had suffered horrific, horrific uh, uh, attacks, and yet she's come through it amazingly. But the reality is also that sometimes people can be accused of things they've not done wrong. And Joseph fled the scene, he's in prison. He has the baker and the butler have a dream, two very prestigious positions in the king's uh, court. And uh, Joseph, it prophetically, interprets the dreams and said to the butler, when you get out, don't forget to tell Pharaoh about me. And the beginning of the next chapter says, two years later. He forgot. He forgot. Two, two years in prison for a crime he'd not forgotten. You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good. I'm, t- I'm prophesying right now that there are people that have sought to harm you, but God's going to turn it around. God's going to turn it around for good. As you maintain your joy in Him, as you continue to delight in God, God's going to vindicate. God's a vind- you don't have to vindicate. God will do it. God will vindicate the situation, and He'll turn it around for good in Jesus' Jesus' name. And as we close, the source of our joy enables us to enjoy, last slide Chad, enables us to enjoy joy and salvation. Acts 8.39, the guy going from Jerusalem to Ethiopia, met Philip, the evangelist, got saved. It says it went on his way with joy. Yeah, you can come up, Kev, thank you. And then in 1 Thessalonians 2, it talks about Paul saying to the Thessalonian church, Satan has sought to block me from coming to you. And he reminded them that his ministry, the joy of his ministry was in reaching these people and finally in security. Habakkuk 3, 17 to 19. You know, I go on Twitter on Sunday night, it can be depressing. Every church has been amazing. Every church has been incredible. Every church has touched heaven. Every person has been blessed, honoured and looked after. Think, does anybody have a bad day? Habakkuk says, though the fig tree does not blossom. There'll be no fruit on the vine, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. And this church, friends, let me tell you, is, I'll use the word, fanatical about fruitfulness. If we go a few weeks without seeing some new people coming in, we get stirred up. So we want all of that. We want to be blessed. But our security today is in our relationship with him. As I close, the fruit of the Spirit is love we're not talking today about being mamby pamby we're talking about a love that's rooted in the will the fruit of the spirit is joy now the problem going back to what I said earlier about 
different expressions of joy is that in the British church for years, we used to have this phrase, well, I've got deep joy. The problem was it was so deep that nobody could ever find it. You'd have to have one of those new fracking companies to come and find the joy in some people, I'm telling you, you know. And that was the problem. The advert didn't work. We were telling people, come and give your life to Jesus. You'll be joyful. And then they walked in and thought, there were more atmosphere in the pub last night than there was here. So it's not fake. It's not cheesy grins. And there's nothing wrong with smiling, friends. It's a great connecting point. It's being real. Don't let your joy be so deep that nobody can find it. And here's the challenge as I close. I talked about the hindrances to joy. You may be going through a circumstance today. Maybe that somebody said something to get back. Maybe just because you're a Christian. The things that come to us. You know, my journey of the last couple of years, as some of you know, has been brutal at times. Not anything to do with arena church. Just being a leader in a denomination. And we turn up on a Sunday, and how do we respond? Come on, guys, let's worship more. Because the Bible talks about singing for joy. The Bible talks about shouting for joy. The Bible talks about leaping for joy. In fact, in that Matthew verse, when it talks about rejoice and being glad, it literally talks about leaping up, spinning around, and coming down again. I'd love to demonstrate it, but, you know, it's a go wrong. It's a go wrong. And that's why when you come to church sometimes, you'll see some people, you'll know that they've got some challenges in life, but somehow they press through in God. Their hands are raised. They're worshipping the Lord. They're giving thanks to God. That is the fruit of joy. That is not fake. That is God. That is real. That is deep joy springing out of the well, the soil of our heart, and saying, whatever God, we're going to give thanks to you. Remember the prophet Isaiah. He says always, that you shall go out with joy. Let's pray. In a moment or two, I'm handing back to Andy and the band will lead us in a closed.